I'm creative business coach Anastasia Williams, and you are listening to Making Magic, a podcast for fiber artists, makers, and creatives who are looking to craft a business with intention. Hello, welcome to episode 45. I'm back after a very long hiatus. Thank you so much for your patience during that time. And I am ready to kind of get back into the swing of things. Uh, To kick it off, today I am talking with Ellie Trier. Ellie Trier is someone that I admire greatly. She is an amazing community builder. She knows exactly what it means to market with authenticity, to market and show up exactly as you are and to take care of yourself while you're doing it, and to really, really build connection. So I hadn't had a chance, you know, over the years that I've been following her and I've taken her courses, uh, but over that time, I realized I hadn't known much about her personally. So I take a lot of time to dig into that today because I think that her experience is going to resonate with so many of you. So without further ado, let's dive in. Just to start, would you be willing to tell us about, just about you, about what you do, how you've gotten there? I mean, it's a very loaded question, so I expect a very, very long answer, but kind of how you've gotten to the place that you are at, and I'll get into the other questions, I suppose, later. I'll I'll just leave it there. How about that? Okay. So... I basically help um, introverts, uh, sensitive people, neurodivergent people, anyone who feels a bit sort of out of step with the world and, and, and doesn't feel as shiny and shouty and, you know, oh, look at me, look at me kind of thing, to uh, effectively market their businesses by connecting and communicating with their right people. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of the crux of everything that I do. And I do that within a, a framework that I have developed called Connect, Nurture, Grow, which is sort of a, a circular framework that I take all of my sort of clients and customers through where we're developing relationships in the connect piece. We're looking very much at kind of one to one relationships. Uh, then we're looking at, at the nurture phase, which a lot of it is email marketing some people use social media for this sort of thing, but it's that kind of keeping top of mind, showing your people that you love them, even when they're not, you know, throwing money at you, um, keeping those relationships warm. And then the growth piece, which I think is what most people kind of think of as marketing. Um, in my framework, it's something you do every now and again when you need an influx of new mm. faces. Um, and I do that through... Uh, the community project which is practically a whole podcast in itself kind of explaining what that is but it's it's basically it's a lovely event on the internet which is unlike anything that that you've probably seen before um where people are gathering around an idea and really again connecting and communicating with each other in a very sort of values driven way Mm. so everything I do is very much about sort of putting people before profit including yourself like a lot of what I teach comes down to just like managing your energy around this stuff and and creating a business model that that works for you and preventing yourself from getting burned out and doing too much peopling and and all of that kind of stuff feeds into this framework like it's very much structured around taking care of yourself 
Um, so that's what I do now. And it has been a very roundabout journey to get here. <laughs> so I'm, I've been uh, running businesses in one form of, of, uh, or another since around about 2005. Okay. My first business was actually uh, running a guest house. Oh. <laughs> so I, I started off my career in uh, tourism. And as you tend to do, if you know anything about the tourism industry, you kind of start at the bottom and you can work your way up very, very quickly um, just by sort of getting to know all the all the various different departments. Um, so I started as a waitress and then uh, moved fairly swiftly into uh, into the back office, into marketing. Uh, and that's sort of where I found my sweet spot. Mm. So a lot of that is around uh, creating an experience for people. So people are coming away on holiday or they're getting married or they're having a conference, they're having some kind of event. And your job as, a, as, as part of the, the marketing in that field is making sure that their whole experience is lovely because mm -hmm. repeat business is sort of a huge piece of um, the tourism industry. Mm -hmm. So all of that kind of customer experience, customer customer retention, all of that, I, I find that fascinating and, and the personal touch and all of that. And it's really interesting to see sort of how that experience feeds into my work mm. now. Like there's a really clear through line, um, which I love. But yeah, I, start, I started with running a guest house. I did that for a couple of years. It, I was building up the business for the couple who owned the building to actually be able to sell it as a, as a going concern. So we ended up being the, the top rated uh, hotel in Cornwall for, for a while while we were there, which was spectacular. <laughs> there were only like 10 bedrooms, like nobody really. We were up against all of these big behemoths. But the personal touch was what made us so good, you know? Um, it made us it made us remarkable as in you know worthy of being remarked on and that kind of word of mouth stuff it's the same principle that I use in my marketing work now um, then I was headhunted to run the marketing department of one of the biggest hotels in Cornwall at the time it has since burned down unfortunately it's not oh, it doesn't exist anymore um, I always like to say it wasn't me <laughs> <laughs> Just in case anyone was wondering. Um, <laughs> and then I did, I did that for a bit. Um, and then uh, in 2008, 2007, 2008, I went out on my own um, as a freelance dog's body, basically. Mm. I was like, my motivation was I don't want to have a job anymore. I don't want to work for anybody else. Like, I can't. Mm squeeze myself into this box anymore um, and I started off just kind of doing some copywriting doing some marketing doing a bit of kind of what anybody wanted uh, ended up working with some of the the people who were kind of on the cutting edge of content marketing in in Bristol where I was living in, in the UK which was really exciting like this was before everybody had a blog and everybody was using social media you know it's sort of I feel partly responsible for the absolute shambles that the internet because <laughs> like yeah you insurance company you should start a blog and a twitter account and you'll be streets ahead <laughs> and yeah it was groundbreaking at the time but now it's like oh everybody's doing it 
Um, so that was really fun. I did like digital communications on a freelance basis for a while. Um, and then I, um, I wrote and illustrated a book called The Gratitude Project. Mm. I'm, a, I'm an artist as well um, in my non-professional life. Um, but this blog, I did it as a blog and then I published it into a book. It got quite popular at the time. I ended up getting commissions for freelance work and thought, that's fun. I'll do that for a bit instead of marketing. I'm a bit bored of marketing. I'll go and do something else. Um, so I ended up doing freelance illustration for a while and creativity coaching. And it was at that point that I kind of discovered the, the community project concept I'd seen a few people doing these projects where they were gathering people um, like over the course of a month to talk about a specific idea, something like that. And it was sort of at the time and the internet, I think it was what, 2015-ish? Um, no one was really doing it strategically. It was just like a lovely thing. And I thought, hello. <laughs> <laughs> My marketing brain kind of lit up. I thought, what a wonderful way to bring people together and grow an email list and kind of show people who you are and what you stand for um, and sort of make sure that the, the theme is attracting the right sort of person that might turn into a client and, and let's put all this together. So I did, I, did a, I did a community project called Demystifying the Artist, which was all about why um, even working artists struggle to sort of claim that title of you know artist with a capital a it feels really uh grandiose and, and like they don't feel like they, it belongs to them um and it was by far the best thing i have ever done for for a business ever i think mm. it was it was i had about i don't remember a couple of hundred people on my mailing list and this project attracted like 700 and something new people into my world and i was like wow oh my goodness um they don't do the same now like the focus is different because people are more wary to sign up for things now so mm -hmm. we do things a little bit differently and, and mitigate that um but at the time like just that huge influx of new email subscribers was incredible and it did wonders for my business so I wondered you know is this a fluke um I did a couple more same result like it was incredible and at the time I kind of come to the end of my enthusiasm for the illustration that I was doing and I closed up that practice and I gave myself six months of white space to just be like I don't know what I want to do next and all I kept saying was I just want to do community projects like that's the funnest thing in the world I just want to do that and it took me about six months before I realized that I could teach other people how to put these projects together. Mm. Um, and the next week I had a website up. I had my first kind of beta client going through the process. And that was four years ago. And that's what I've been doing sort of ever since. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and then it evolved from the community project. It evolved into this framework because it was obvious to see kind of the missing pieces that people needed in this process. And, you know, my marketing light lit up again and it's now kind of grown into this into this thing, which is which is much bigger, much meatier, much more inclusive. Yeah. So that was quite the answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a really good one. And it's, it's brought up a bunch of other questions that I that it for me thinking about it. So 
Now, some of your values and your value systems kind of really play around that kind of the authenticity, but also, you know, um, I hate to use self-care as the buzzword, but basically like, you know, prioritizing your well-being while you're also running a business um, and so, sort of kind of taking on that uh, group of introverts essentially and kind of helping them find an outlet. But the question that I have is, you know, is it, do you feel like some of that comes from maybe who you are as a person or is it some of like the fact that you worked for kind of smaller companies rather than huge corporations, like, or maybe a combination? That's a really good question, actually. I'd not thought of it like that before. And I think, yeah, all of all of the places, I never did like a big corporate thing. I always worked for like small personal companies. So that's sort of the way that I learned how to do business. Um, and it was very easy to see in those instances, like it was it's so immediate, those personal businesses, because you, you try things, you have the ability to sort of pivot and change and experiment that you don't have in the corporate world so much. Right. Um, you know, everything has to be run past a, a committee or a board or what have you. Um, so the way that I learned how to business was very different. And it also it's directly related to my own personality as well. I mean, I chose to work in those industries because it, it I need the immediate feedback from people. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I need to know oh, if I if I do this, then this happens and you can kind of see the direct correlation. Yeah, um, I'm not very good at just kind of working in a void. I had one job briefly for an ad agency a big ad actually, which I absolutely hated because I'd be doing stuff and I had no idea how it was landing, you know, with the client because they mm. were like five people removed from me. Sure. Yeah. And that, ugh, I don't like that. <laughs> um, but also, I mean, I have, I have a chronic illness. I have IBD. I have um, uh, ADHD. I'm autistic. I have this whole like bouquet of physical and mental and emotional sort of limitations yeah um and I've been forced to find a way to work within those parameters and a lot of what I do goes against the grain of this kind of hustle 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 thing that was so trendy like when I first came up you know doing online online business stuff it was all you know four hour work week and and you know I don't know it was very there were a lot of men there were a lot of white men shouting at you <laughs> and since then it's kind of gradually become less and less like that and I mean my I have my own little echo chamber which is much more sort of uh, diverse and and there are a lot more kind of people who are going slowly and easily and taking it you know nice and nice and easy um but I tried because I thought, okay, this internet is brave new world. These people, you know, these white men, they're very confident. They obviously know more than I do about, you know, being here. And it took me a while to kind of try that and go, oh no, <laughs> that's bad. And it feels icky. And I don't like, I don't like the way I'm um, treating other people. Like this doesn't feel right. I did B school in 2012 oh sure with Marie Forleo with Marie Forleo 
And that was like the gold standard for online business, or it was sold as the gold standard yes, of online business. It, is, it still is, yes. And it's, I don't want to badmouth anybody, but let's just say it wasn't quite as uh, what it was uh, laid out to be. Sure. Um, and I just didn't agree with a lot of the things that she was teaching. It went against the grain of what I had been taught, what I had learned kind of working, working for myself before. Um, and when I did try it, it felt wrong, but it still, I took a lot of, of, I don't know, courage, or I don't know if that's the right word, but it took a lot for me to give myself permission to go, okay, well that sucks. I'm going to do it completely differently. Yeah. And now I've sort of built a business around that. Like everything that I, everything that I offer in my business is something that is, this is how it's done. Okay, let's break this and like find the good bits and put it back together into something lovely that makes everybody feel good. Um, we were talking before we started recording about Uncommon Email, which is my email marketing program. And nearly everything I say in that program would get me kicked out of marketing school. You know? <laughs> Like none of it, none of it fits in with the blueprint that is widely available for email marketing. However, for me and for the students that go through the program, this slower, more gentle, more relationship focused approach makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it all starts with with kind of I don't like this. It makes me feel bad and it makes me tired. And then I sort of translate that into, OK, let's let's if I'm feeling like this, there are going to be other people feeling like this. And how can we help them and help myself at the same time? You know, I'm, I'm constantly learning new ways of doing things. Yeah. And, you know, when you said earlier that it takes a little bit of courage and then you're like, I'm not, I'm not sure if that was the right word, but I was actually going to ask you about that um, because in this whole process of this journey that you described so there seems to be a trending theme of like all right so i'm done with this or this isn't working for me and we're just going to the next thing and like we're just going to keep going and we're going to keep going and i guess for me as somebody who has largely struggled it's gotten better since i've been able to be more present in a business and seen uh the positive results of the work that i've done but prior to that it's very like self-doubt i don't know i'm not sure this may i just you know the the fraudster stuff that you know the all those kinds of self-doubt things mm -hmm. um do you feel like you had to kind of work through that as well through your journey or do you feel like you know what nope i'm great we're just doing it <laughs> no there's there's definitely been stuff like that and I think I mean it's taken me a long long time it wasn't until I started this business that I really felt like I hit my groove in terms of what I was doing and how I was how, how I felt about it whether you know how confident I was feeling how much I trusted my own judgment mm. um, and I had to do a lot of work of kind of yeah, figure, and I, I still come across it now because um, I don't know if you have, I'm sure you have some kind of neurodivergent people in your audience, but um, being autistic, one of the things that we, we learn very, very quickly from a very young age is sort of masking and mimicking other people in order to fit in, in order to mm. not show the weird, you know, we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
um, we're not acceptable in some way. So we, we do this masking thing. Um, and that, I mean, I only got diagnosed, what? Oh, four years ago. Okay, so basically right when you were starting to do this whole community project thing, okay. Exactly, exactly. Wow. It was, yeah, it was the March before. And it's one of the reasons why I shut down the, the illustration business because I was going through this whole diagnostic uh, procedure and it was all, everything was too much. I needed a break. Um, but as soon as I got my diagnosis, I was like, oh, okay, I don't need to try and fit in with everybody else or do it right. Like whether it was business or, or just being a person, you know, out in the world. And that gave me an enormous amount of freedom to just be like, okay, I'm going to go fuck shit up. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a wonderful um, Jamila Jamil uh, posted a tweet quite recently where she was talking about imposter syndrome. And she was like, think of it like, like crashing a wedding. Like you're already there, even if you're not supposed to be. So lean into it, like grab cake, have a dance, snog the best man, you know, just go for it and wait till somebody kicks you out. Yeah. And of course, no one's going to come and kick you out because you're probably not an imposter. Like you're not yeah. a fraud. Um, and you're and adding to the just, party nine times out of 10. They don't want to kick that person out. <laughs> exactly <laughs> and that kind of that was a real game changer for me as well it's just like this sort of language and this this concept around like just okay if I am an imposter I'm going to get the most out of what I'm doing while I'm here until somebody kicks me out yeah, yeah. um and I, I love, love that sort of exuberance like we waste so much of our time like worrying about how we're doing or what other people think and all the rest of it yeah. and the older I get the more I realize that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the energy to be um, like micromanaging everybody else's emotions right. and I'd rather just show up as I am like breaking marketing putting it back together banging on about how you need to rest more than you work and and being my wibbly wobbly wonky weird self yeah and the people who who resonate with that the people who love that will come and they will love me and they'll stay in my community and we can have a lovely time together and the people who don't I'm not interested in converting them yeah like, there are other people for them it's fine it's, right it's great we're all different brilliant yeah no that's that's really neat um I kind of okay so and you can you can choose to opt out of any of these questions if it feels too personal for you. But you brought up, you know, kind of going through the process of getting diagnosed right before you started, really the core of this new business. Yeah. Um, and it, to be honest, I was diagnosed with ADHD just like three weeks ago. And the congratulations, first, welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> the first like week was weirdly paralyzing. Mm. And I didn't. I thought that it would be kind of either releasing or just kind of like, oh, just business as usual. I just now have access to medication, but I realized precisely how far reaching it's been. And then I started to get really bummed out. And I know for a fact, I have loads of people in my membership who have ADHD. I have got several who are either going through the diagnosis process or um, they are just recently were diagnosed or they're going to go through that process. So I'd love to kind of talk about, and I know that the process for that is 
is probably, I mean, I've not been diagnosed with autism, but I imagine it's vastly different, but you know, how have you been able to, and at that time, especially, how are you able to kind of like come to grips, you know, was it just kind of like, Hey, this is a huge permission slip or were there any challenges of like, okay, shit. (laughs) (laughs) There were a lot of challenges. I got so angry for a while. I was like, I'm, I was the time I was, I was 36 when I got diagnosed and I was like, I've gone through all of this time struggling and why did nobody notice? Yeah. I was just, I was furious and apparently my, um, my dad's wife helped me go and get diagnosed because um, I went to her, she had, has an autistic daughter, much uh, more severely autistic than me. Um, but she has an autistic daughter and I went to her and I said, look, I think, I think there's something in this. Like, I think I might need to go get tested. And um, she helped me go through that whole process. But she said, I knew when I first met you like 20 years ago, that there was something like, there was probably some neurodivergence going on. And she said, I didn't want to be like the, the interfering stepmother or anything. And I told your dad and he said, oh no, she's just had a difficult childhood. And um I was like (laughs) if somebody had said something everything would have been so much easier even if I hadn't got like an official diagnosis or something at that particular time I don't think girls could even have autism you know in the 80s and 90s yeah um but if just someone had noticed like there is something going on here it's not just I don't know bad behavior or social anxiety or or whatever um my life would have played out very differently and it might have been a lot easier and I went down that rabbit hole for quite some time it was a good two or three months before I sort of came back out and going you know no everything's brought me here and now from now on I can you know lead into this and make a difference that is hard I'm like I'm trying not to okay sorry getting a little teary when you were talking about like it could have been (laughs) so much easier because that's so much easier oh that just that just hits that hurts you know that hurts anyway sorry go ahead no 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 I I completely I completely understand and this is why I'm completely fine talking about this process because I feel like the more people who know and who understand and don't feel like they're broken because I couldn't understand why I couldn't really I always felt out of sight I couldn't really get a handle on things and you know part of the 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 thing that that I love about myself which is this ability to just nope this is wrong move on to the next thing Mm. which has served me so well yeah like the reason why things have been wrong so often has been because okay I'm living with undiagnosed autism and ADHD and maybe some meds would have helped or maybe some you know something could have been done just having a a thing to say no I'm not I'm not being a wanker I'm autistic and I probably haven't understood what you've said or yeah I've, you know I've said something that that is weird and outlandish to you but to me it made perfect sense like it's a miscommunication thing um and yeah jobs relationships friendships all sorts of stuff would just have been so much simpler if there wasn't that sort of barrier through me not understanding what was wrong with me 
yeah and and part of that process I mean I'm glad I had a few months to just kind of sink into the to the diagnostic diagnostic process and assimilate that kind of new information um because there was a lot of that sort of passing through my whole life and going okay what's what happened because of autism what happened because of, of this what you know how it's a whole new lens to kind of view everything through and that was a complete emotional roller coaster of of ultimately like joy and permission and I felt like I could finally exhale and just be who I was <laughs> right right and and trust my own judgment because before I was like I don't know I clearly you know I don't belong on this planet so everybody else must have a better idea of what to do than I do mm-hmm. um and now I'm like no okay yeah because obviously it's served you incredibly well to be able to be like you know what yeah this is who I am and everybody else can screw off you know like that is and I mean you don't talk like that in your business but you know you're much more nice and flowery (laughs) but (laughs) yeah absolutely it was it was a huge huge permission slip for me um and and gave me permission I wouldn't I don't think I would have the business that I have now had I not gone through that process because I would still be trying to fit in with the way it's supposed to be done Mm, mm, that's amazing yeah that's super encouraging um okay I want to pivot just a little bit so Mm. a lot of the things that you focus on um kind of come down to that very much relationship marketing right and not everybody does relationship marketing but I do feel like especially within the fiber arts industry kind of us yarnies um, we are all, well, I mean, the majority of this industry is women. Let's just say it as it is. I mean, not everybody, but the majority. And I think that with that comes a lot of <laughs> generational, patriarchal, all those kinds of like trauma and beliefs that have just been passed down to kind of make us, you know, uh, nice and, uh, you know, not super impactful in a lot of ways, like keeping us in our place. And, you know, with the marginalized individuals who are part of our group as well, same thing with them, keeping everybody in their place. But I think that we also to kind of lean into that relationship marketing because there's so much connection there that can be fostered as a result. Um, I mean, I think relationship marketing is really ideally what every business and corporation would want to have, but they have the disadvantage of having so many people involved that they have to mimic a personal touch or a personal relationship versus the single business owner owned business uh, (laughs) has the benefit of actually being that human. So long question is, with a lot of the businesses that I work with being kind of product-based and therefore maybe needing more volume or more, you know, more product to be pushed, you know, is it still beneficial? I know the answer will be yes, but is it still <laughs> beneficial and how and why and all those things to pursue relationship marketing when you're trying to kind of get more touch points out there? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's slightly different when you're working with a product-based business than it is for service-based business. 
um, in a service-based business, you can be super direct, particularly if you're working with other businesses, you can just be like, hi, I do this. And they're like, oh, I need this. And then, you know, you're working together. <laughs> <laughs> with product-based businesses, a little bit more, um, there are a little, there are a few more steps, basically. Um, so the sort of relationships that, that they want to be pursuing are much more in terms of um, the, I don't like to call them gatekeepers, I don't really like that term, but it kind of fits as a catch-all for um, the people who have audience, existing audiences that they can get in front of and take advantage of, mm. the people who have access to opportunities and resources that that can you know boost their business um anyone who is so for example for for your people the yarnies i love that um the yarnies they're looking at okay who can i build a relationship with so you're looking at the fiber arts press anyone who's doing like fiber arts magazines and things like that go and make friends with them um, people who run um, art fairs and um, other sort of physical events mm -hmm. like go and hang out with them and then go and make friends with the other stall holders like the collaboration thing is enormous there is no such thing as competition there is no such thing as competition yep. because everybody wants something slightly different and everybody wants there's enough room for all of us basically yes. um, when you're doing something that is is sort of values based and personal like even your like company ethos can be the thing that that makes somebody want to buy from you rather than somebody who has an identical product like right. you're not selling mass marketed stuff that's that's you know made in china it's right. it's personal already so getting together with other people in your industry and complementary businesses as well so businesses that aren't necessarily doing exactly what you do um, so for example, a knitwear designer should be talking to stylists. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, a, uh, someone who does like wall hangings or something like that should be talking to, um, interior designers, um, as well as like other visual artists. You're very so, good for me not having prepped you for this question, by the way. Very <laughs> good examples. Thank you. Thank you. But my mom was a knitwear designer in the 80s. So oh, that's I right. Have, yeah. yeah. So I have a sort of a, a little bit of a, a soft spot for um, knitwear. And I'm obsessed with fashion stuff as well. So. <laughs> in another life, I am a designer of some description. Um, but yeah, but that's that's the sort of thing. So it is relationship marketing, but you might not necessarily be talking direct to the end consumer all the time. Okay. Um, there are opportunities for that. And it is, you know, that's more where the sort of nurturing piece of the puzzle comes in um, because you're looking to sort of gather people together and, and keep top of mind for them. Um, and you might, it might not be appropriate or effective to talk to those people kind of directly one-to-one -one in the same way as if you're providing a service. Mm. Um, so yeah, same principle, slightly different kind of strategic pathway to get there. Yeah, no, that's, that's incredibly helpful. So let's expand on that just a little bit into the nurture stuff. So when we look at nurturing as a whole, now, one of the things that you lean into really heavily is email marketing. And you yeah. did a workshop 
uh, March. Yes. In March for the fiber business collective. And we were talking about it before we started recording, but my members loved it, like loved it, loved it, loved it. Talk about it all the time. It was very, very good. Um, and I know you tried to pack in as much as you could because you have your own course, you know, uncommon email, which is a much larger expansion of the snippet that you gave us that I took, which is what led me to you, et cetera, et cetera. We're getting down a very big rabbit hole here, but, <laughs> uh, but I, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to ask this question that sounds really annoying and then <laughs> I'll have, I'll just kind of, you can kind of take it where you want to take it. So okay. the question is, <laughs> Do you quote unquote need a newsletter? And like, if, if someone makes a decision that the newsletter is right for them, you know, what are some of the things that can help someone not feel so confused about what am I going to talk about? Right? Like, how do you make a newsletter work for you and your people? Sorry, that was two very weird questions, but I'm no, that's fine. Um, the first part of that is do, does everybody need a newsletter? I would say I don't know why you wouldn't. I mean, with social media being the ever changing and evolving beast that it is, we have absolutely no control over social media, although it can be a really effective tool to nurture your community and kind of keep top of mind. Um, less so over the last couple of years, I'm thinking particularly of Instagram and their bloody awful algorithms. Um, <laughs> the ever nemesis of us all. <laughs> yeah, um, but they're making it more and more difficult for the people who follow you to actually see what you do, which means that they're making it very difficult for you to nurture that community in a way that you have full control over. Um, obviously, going back to what I was talking about with the tourism stuff, like this experience creation thing and this control over the environment that you present to your people is something that you can do with email that you can't do with social media. So social media, you're confined to their parameters, their limitations, their way of, of making you show up, whatever that might be. Whereas with email, you a it's a more valuable relationship whereas people will follow anybody letting you into their inbox that's sacred like <laughs> that really is sacred territory so if somebody lets you into their inbox then that is a huge kind of leap forward in terms of how engaged they are with you as a either as an individual or as a business you also have there's no algorithm in an inbox. Mm -hmm. If you send an email, most people are going to see it. Mm -hmm. They might not read it. They might not, you know, click, click on it or open it. That comes down to your relationship with those people, which is the, where the experience creation and stuff comes in. Um, but it's going to land in their inbox. Um, spam filters, notwithstanding. <laughs> And, and that means that you have a direct connection with that person, which means that you can build a relationship with that person, even if it's just email based. Like I have many lovely relationships with people and we just, it, I've never spoken to them. I've never seen them in real life. I've never had a video call with them. It all happens over um, uh, email. Yeah, yeah. 
and that's that you know that's a perfectly valid relationship like um so nobody has to do anything <laughs> but i i strongly recommend that you have some form of of newsletter some way that you can keep in touch with people that you have control over yeah um it doesn't need to be a weekly thing it can be a, a quarterly thing right um but yeah gather gather your people together um obviously that's the answer i'm going to come up with like yes <laughs> <laughs> In a nutshell, my answer is yes. You have okay, okay, cool, cool. Um, and then in terms of what to write. I know it's a really big question. It's, it's a big question. I'm trying to sort of sort of squeeze it into just a couple of minutes. I think for one thing, having conversations with people, being sort of plugged into your community in some way and paying attention to the questions that get asked over and over again and the the things that people pick up on if you go for example to some kind of market and you've got people stopping at your stall and kind of picking things up and looking things and asking you questions about that every single one of those questions has the potential to be a part of a newsletter or an entire newsletter in and of itself um anything that that people say stories that happen to you you know as you're as you're going about your business like people love seeing behind the scenes of stuff and i think once you kind of get your your head on with understanding sort of what your kind of cornerstones of your content are your content pillars um which i won't go into too in too much detail here but they're like <laughs> it's, there's going to be a few topics that come up over and over again that you can just talk about forever yeah um and once you kind of go through your life and through your business with those sort of goggles on you'll find that there is content all over the place like yeah. i go to a concert that's a that's a topic for a newsletter or I, I go down the pub i go to a cocktail bar and the the bartender does something that's fodder for for a newsletter <laughs> because everything i do is sort of being filtered through this lens of how do businesses build relationships yeah um and so once once you figure that stuff out and, you know, I'm not I'm, I'm I have a whole a whole course about this yes. that goes into to into it in great detail. Um, but, yeah, then you're kind of constantly generating ideas and you just need a way of sort of capturing them. So when you sit down at newsletter time to write to your people, um, you already have this repository of, of snippets and notes and great ideas that you can pull from. Mm. Um, and like anything, it's a habit. And once you get into the habit of that, it's it's it just becomes second nature. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really that last bit is a really good point, too, is that, you know, everything seems really overwhelming at first. And I think that goes for a lot of things in business in general, like having to show your face on a video, having to talk to a screen that's not talking back. You know, all <laughs> those things feel so weird and foreign and you sweat and your face is red and you're so nervous. And then after a while, it's like. I can sit and watch myself on a video over and over and over again and just kind of like be a narcissist about it really i mean it's like ah oh, my hair looked really good you know like you <laughs> worrying about that stuff so i think that's really funny um but okay so and i know there's so many facets of what you do and i know that we could probably talk for a very long time but i did promise that i would like let you have it like the rest of your day so <laughs> 
where can people learn more about the work that you do about your framework about the projects that you've been involved in um and where can they connect with you further the best thing to do is to come over to my website which is elitriacommunities.com and sign up for my sunday letters that's where all of my original content, all of my kind of new thinking, everything that goes on in my business goes through the Sunday letter. Mm -hmm. um, and as part of the sign up process, you'll be encouraged to reach out and say hello, which I love. But I read all of them myself. I reply to all of them myself. Um, it's my favorite way to sort of get to know the new people who, who sign up. I am also present on Instagram. I'm always, my DMs are open if people want to come over. I'm Ellie Trier Communities on there and people can pop in and say hello. Um, on my website also, we have just put up these amazing resources pages, which I'm so, I keep looking at them, they're so pretty. Um, for each of the, the, the stages of the process, so there's a connect page, a nurture page, a grow page, and also a sustainable business page. Um, and that is full of podcast interviews, blog posts, extra resources, um, and also kind of the paid resources that I offer as well. I don't know when this is going out, but if it's sort of beginning of June time, I do have uh, Love is Great and Numbers is having a, uh, a live cohort that we're going to go through sort of mm. end of June throughout July. Um, which I'm so excited about. There's going to be lots and lots of cool stuff happening um, over the next couple of months. Uh, extra content. There's a mini challenge. There's a, a live workshop that's going to be happening. Um, lots and lots of kind of relationship-based one-to-one connection stuff. So if you kind of along for the ride there, then... Um... I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> I will be there with bells on. <laughs> It's going to be so much fun and love is greater than numbers. It has, it has, I'll show you actually. I don't know if this will translate on the podcast, um, but it has been a workbook Whoa. for about three years, I think, since I first put it together. And it's now been as we've got videos, we've got an extra bonus. I'm hoping from this amazing somatic coach to help us with some like physical practices to do to combat the sort of fear and the social anxiety stuff amazing um there's going to be an extended payment plan there's going to be a co-working day there's going to be like a practice networking event thing there's a whole pile of really cool like extra stuff that's involved so um if you have any interest at all in relationship-based marketing come on over and join in because it's going to be amazing oh that's so awesome well i really <laughs> really appreciate you coming on. I admire you so much. You know, I do because I never shut up about it. Um, <laughs> but I'm so thankful that you took the time to, to come talk to us. Oh, it's been a huge pleasure. Thank you so much. Now, if you want to get a little bit more of a taste of Ellie and you were possibly considering joining the Fiber Business Collective already, this would be a great opportunity to do that. She has a workshop that is pre-recorded and ready for you to watch at any time in our members area on newsletters. And again, like we said in the podcast episode, everybody absolutely loved it and it was super, super valuable and useful and there are so many takeaways for it. So of course you can join at any time 
at www.anastasiacreates.co slash membership. And if you want to connect with me further and have not already on Instagram, I am at anastasiacreates.co and I will talk to you next time.